Hey, Cracked fans. With the summer months just around the corner, we know all of you are beginning to think about how you can best maximize your chances to improve your game with the warm weather. Well, thankfully, we here at Cracked Rackets are so excited to tell all of you about the 254 Tennis Camp happening this summer at Baylor University. Now, over the course of three weeks in June, starting June 12th through the 16th and ending June 26th through the 30th, you'll have the opportunity to learn from from some of the best coaches in the business in an all-encompassing tennis experience. You'll have the opportunity to improve each and every part of your game, whether that be on the singles court, whether that be on the doubles court, through drilling, through point play, match play as well. You'll also, of course, receive a free t-shirt for participating in the camp, but also have the chance to see yourself broadcasted as our Crack Rackets team will be providing coverage of the final day each week at this 254 tennis camp. Again, you'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the best coaches in the business. I promise Coach Michael Woodson and the Baylor team going to make it an extraordinarily enjoyable time. How can you get signed up today? Well, you can learn more information by visiting the Baylor website by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp. Again, that's baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp to sign up today. Now, this camp open to any and all entrants, but limited only by age, number, grade level, and or gender. Again, you can learn more about this camp by going to baylor.edu slash athletics slash tennis camp today. Don't miss out, folks. Going to be three very exciting, fun weeks of tennis down at Baylor University. Be sure to sign up for the 254 Tennis Camp happening at Baylor today. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, June 21st. Of course, the biggest story of the week, the 2022 Wimbledon. Starting next week, we are less than seven days away from the kickoff of the year's third Grand Slam. And of course, we will be previewing all aspects, all angles of Wimbledon this week on our Great Shot podcast feed. But this is one of those rare instances when the week before a Grand Slam actually matters on both the ATP and WTA tours. Now, why is that the case? A, whenever we have the grass court season, simply put, there are just not that many matches played on grass throughout the course of the year. As such, it is critical for each and every player on tour to get some warm-up repetitions under their belt to best acclimate themselves to the surface, best prepare themselves for the year's third Grand Slam at Wimbledon. Of course, at this year's Wimbledon, we also know at most it'll be half the points awarded typically to these players for each of their results as of right now there will be no points awarded for any results at Wimbledon as such each and every player doesn't matter if you're number one in the world number 100 in the world the opportunity to gain points at some ATP WTA tour level events this week critical for every player as they try to build up their resume prepare for the summer hard court stretch as such the fact that we have two ATP level events, two WTA events this week in the lead up to the 2022 Wimbledon. These events matter. We'll be watching closely this week here on the Mini Break podcast feed, not only to see which players look to be in the best form heading into Wimbledon, but of course, looking to see which 
players can continue to push themselves up the rankings, which players are struggling heading into the year's third Grand Slam, who we should be watching as we head into the 2022 ATP and WTA season's home stretch. As such, plenty for us to cover here on today's podcast. And if you're going to try and preview the four tour-level events we have happening this week, you better have some help to do so. Thankfully, we always do here on our mini break podcast feed. And on Tuesdays in particular, we get to run one of our favorite segments here at Crack Rackets. Of course, we call it Tennis Point Tuesday. Our updates of all the latest and greatest products being offered by our friends at Tennis Point. Of course, it's also an excuse for me to talk tennis with one of my good buddies, one of my favorite people to talk tennis with in the industry. Of course, you know this man best as our point guy for all things Tennis Point. Welcome back to the show. My man, Nate Walrath. Nate, welcome back, my friend. How are you doing today? It's a happy Tennis Point Tuesday over here in Cincinnati. We just got back from Chicago. We had an awesome time at the ITA event in Northwestern University. A hell of a campus. They have just beautiful, like, it's aesthetically pleasing. As soon as you drive into Evanston, you just feel like you're somewhere that, like, no crime happens. There's no litter anywhere. Everything is just pristine. And we had a hell of a time. Awesome tennis we got to see, and just actually stopped at a couple clubs, a, a club, and um, it was just an awesome experience. It was our first time traveling outside Cincinnati with our summer circuit tour, so um, no complaints over here. Getting back into the swing of things and, and gearing up for Wimbledon. It's honestly a cheat code for Northwestern to not only have the beautiful campus that they do, but it's on a lake. And you're just like, it's not fair that you get to be on Lake Michigan and that you're sitting in the library, particularly, I imagine you went last week. So, you know, second week, third week of June, and you're just like, oh my, like, does the sun always reflect off the water in that fashion? And if so, how can anyone at as prestigious a university as Northwestern get any work done? I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to skip the library today. I'm going to go hang out outside let's darty with some friends like it, it really is beautiful between having a beach and then just awesome <laughs> restaurants and bike trails and whatever else you would what you want on campus yeah it's uh, tough to beat so i just i thought that event was awesome uh actually a northwestern natan um spear yep spear took on the title he played i mean he played unbelievable all weekend long so uh the women's side it was butler versus um i believe wisconsin in the final uh, Natalie Bozing. I yeah, forget of course. What, what, yeah, I forget. I forget She's Butler. She plays for Butler. Yep, yep. And then she played a Wisconsin gal that I'm not sure. It was Wisconsin versus Wisconsin in the semifinals. So I'm not sure which one uh, took on that title. We, we left right before that final went on court. But the doubles was awesome as well. Uh, shout out to, to uh, Case Western. Um, I know they, they had a tough loss in that Division three finals, but showed out in the ITA, took on the title in, in dubs. So, I mean, and then the, the women's side, it was, I was surprised. I mean, ITA event, it's hot out, but the level of tennis was exceptional and glad we got to be a part of that. And I thought it was, everything went pretty smooth. So, yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, again, I was talking to Adam Schachterly, now the head coach at Pepperdine, who played at Northwestern, and I was just joking around with him. I was like, how many outdoor matches did you play at Northwestern during your career? And he's like, Alex, I can say definitively we did not play a single outdoor match during my career. And that's why these summer tournaments, these ITA events, to get to play on those outdoor Northwestern courts, certainly the opportunity that all of these players are looking for. And again, yeah, free plug here. You're welcome, Arvid Swan. You're welcome, Claire Pollard. It's also like a 30-minute train ride to 
downtown Chicago. There are worse places in the world to go if you are fortunate enough to get into Northwestern. But of course, that is not the subject of today's conversation. We want to break down again all the ATP WTA events happening this week so that all of you listeners know what you should be watching and of course, what you should be watching with a keen eye looking forward towards the action that's about to start at Wimbledon. Of course, the reason we're able to do this day in, day out here at Cracked Rackets is because of the support we get from you, Nate, and the team over at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. Not only will you let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point, symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all of that said, Nate, give me the latest and greatest. Is there a plethora of white clothing sold in the le- sold in the lead up to Wimbledon because of the all white Wimbledon gear requirements, or is that just again no, a Wimbledon specific thing? No, it really ha- it happens. It happens in Cincinnati. <laughs> like when I go to the showroom and I see like people coming in with all white kits, I'm like, people really do get in the in the mood and like in the, in their feelings with wearing all white. Um, but the latest right now, I want to touch on two shoes or three shoes, I guess. Um, first off, the Wilson Rush Pro 3.0, our tennis point exclusive shoe with Wilson. I got to put it on my foot and wear it all weekend long, and it's it's the real deal. Dave Lemke was super excited about it, and now I can share his excitement. It's lightweight. It's durable. It's got the mesh top. Breathability is on point. It's got the 4D support structure on the uh, inner like inner sole of the shoe, so you feel like you're like for an aggressive mover, you, you, you can really trust it. I think the red and white, the red and black colorway is beautiful as well. So check that out at a great price one. I think it's 119. And then from Fila, we have, I think two of my favorite shoes from Fila that I've ever seen with the Fila speed serve. You guys have seen Riley Opelka rock in the yellow uh, colorway. I think that's a beautiful shoe. We saw it at Indian Wells. Um, and then with uh, Diego Schwartzman rocking the Axelos two energized, uh, blue and yellow colorway. I think that's another beautiful shoe. Both are high performance, uh, light, durable, just have a clean look to them. So guys, uh, another $115 for the uh, Axelist. I think that's a great price for that type of shoe. It's um, high end. And um, I just thought, I know shoes was a big push uh, early on with everybody kind of uh, the supply chain issues, but they are back in stock and can't beat them. The beautiful colorways from our, from our friends at Fila. So yeah, it's uh, all white now, and Adidas and Nike uh, collections have dropped as well. Yeah, I mean, look, I think Fila is on the rise. I do think that's one of the hidden gems, and, you know, I saw it going around right now. By the way, you look for Technifiber rackets, which when we were growing up, Nate, were not part of the, I would say, typical circle of rackets. Yeah. I do think Wilson has held, Babolat has held, I don't think I see as many heads as I once did, but I think, you know, the three I, I would turn to, Fila sure. clothing, Yonix racket, and then, uh, and then of course, Technifiber rackets. Like, I think yeah. those are the three things that are just the 2010s, 2020s. Like, those are past decade developments. There was the athletic DNA three-year blip, which we don't have to get into right now, but I do think those are three categories I would circle as three rising brands. That's a great shout out. And I got a question for you. Currently, Technifiber is repped by the world number one in four spots. Men's singles, women's singles, men's doubles, women's doubles. 
Please name all four players that you, that rep a Technofiber racket. It's Iga Shviantek, Daniil mm-hmm. Medvedev, Elisa Mertens, and what was the last one? Her partner? Is no, it's, 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 the, it's the men. men Joe dumb. Salisbury? I, I believe so. Is that the four? Let's go. So. You know, you host a daily podcast. You better be able to answer that question that's, correctly. Let's freaking go. That's, <laughs> that's huge. Yeah, I'm feeling, about, I'm, I'm feeling clutch. Have you hit Joe, with Technofiber before? I, yes. First off, I can't believe you hit Joe Salisbury. I didn't think you had that in you. Well, first of all, do you know where Joe Salisbury went to college? Oh. Come on. I'll give you – you want a hint for where yeah. Joe Salisbury went to college? Give me a hint. The hint is Ryan Penniston. No. Because he oh. also went to, Cal- yes. to the college oh there. Is it uh, Memphis? Correct. Nick Dog. Oh. That's why Tennis Point official sponsors of the ITA Summer Circuit. Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, a little trivia action here as we go. Knows I wasn't good one, too. I had my hands. I was free-handed. Um, no, I had hit with a technofiber before, and it's. I really like it. the team fight. Um, is more my style, and I, I I I really enjoyed it. It's a thinner frame than what I'm used to, but super stable at compact, and I got a lot of you generate a lot of spin. The control with that racket is exceptional. Um, so yeah, I just hit with one probably like a month ago, and I was pleasantly surprised how much I liked it compared to other thinner beams like the blade or the gravity. Yeah, I mean, is it stiff? Like again, it, can you give me a comp? What's like the comp for it? The comp for me would be maybe the head speed. I'd say like the speed. It's got a little more give, a little more forgiving, but the ball gets you can dominate the ball at impact. Um, even even off like, and when you hit an, an off-centered shot, you don't feel like your racket is getting beat up. I would say like it's, um, but the control and the, the ability to kind of throw your like it's, it's the maneuverability is a step above the head speed. I would say like yeah. you're able to yeah. The hand, the hand work is it comes a little easier. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I've taken a couple of swings with it. It's interesting. Like all these, it like it just feels, it's a little different. It's just, yeah. I don't the, know how to the Yonix, I kind of like. Like it's a little stiffer. It Yonix is very similar to me. It's it's more in the Wilson head category of racket, where it's just you know again a little bit straightforward. Like again, Babolat is so uniquely itself and i think the word unique is overused this is a long-running argument we've had here at cracked rackets and shout out to professor john u bacon who of course taught me this in college who would say if something's in unique it better be one of a kind otherwise it's not unique um i do think i think the technofiber it's it's a little bit more free swing like it's probably the closest to babylon you can get without being the babylon and i would Two, two notes on what you just said. First off, Yonix, that E-Zone, yeah. one of the best sticks ever manufactured. I mean, what, whatever they put into that E-Zone as far as techno- technology and the colorway, everything, unbelievable. But like you just said, the Technofiber, it is unique in the way that it, when it swings, it just feels like it's not like it's not cutting through the air like other rackets. And I talked to a few Babylon Pure Arrow users this past weekend, and it's just like a known thing that when you, once you decide that you're going to use a Pure Arrow, you're probably never going. Yeah, you've back sold to out. Else. That you've like, sold it's out. Over. It's uh, over. Like hundred percent. And I'm and I'm like I'm gonna try to be one of those rare people that gets off the arrow at some point down the line just to start. I, I don't know. The Yonex E Zone is just calling my name, but I need the plus. I need that plus to come out. I believe it comes out in July. That extra quarter inch is, is a game changer. 
Okay. No, that's good to know. And again, all of these products available at tennis-point.com. You use that promo code CR15, 50% off all sale items, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. You know what we should do post-Wimbledon, Nate Dog, Because obviously the next two weeks going to be a bit busy, going to be a bit Wimbledon-centric. But you want to do a mailbag where we answer fans' questions, again, about the latest and greatest products. We ask, what are the things you're looking at, whether it's differences between rackets, string tensions, all of these different things, of course. People can call you right now and just ask if, you know, ask if, um, ask for your help yeah, from the I, Tennis I, Point team. But I, 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 I like that idea. I think we're overdue for that. I think the, the, the one question I get a lot is a lot of these players see players on tour move into like a different string pattern, whether it's 18 by 20 or 18 by 19. And now they all kind of want to tinker with that. And they're, they, they all seem to ask kind of what the advantages are and the disadvantages are. So let's open it up to the fans of Cracked Rackets and uh, let's see what they have for, for, for us on uh, the gear and equipment side. Yeah, a hundred. No, I, I love that. And again, we'll do that. We'll solicit questions about Instagram, Twitter. You all know the deal. We'll, um, we'll, we'll get to that. That's a, that sounds like the perfect post Wimbledon pre us open summertime series stretch, uh, of activities for, uh, for us to do here on tennis point Tuesday. But of course, as we like to do here at the start of the week on the mini break podcast, and as we so frequently seem to do with you, Nate dog, let's talk about the latest and greatest happenings on the ATP and WTA tour. Again, four events this week in the buildup to the year's third Grand Slam 2022 Wimbledon. Less than seven days from the start. Let's just start here. Big picture, and it's a a tangent between friends here, but every so often, I like to think I'm an analyst, a journalist, a broadcaster now, but I like to put on my tennis fan hat as well. Is the time period between the French Open and Wimbledon too rushed? Would you like an extended grass court season? Are you okay with a four or five week sprint? I would take, it needs like 40 days. It needs like 45 days. I, I, I'm not like saying it needs like two, two and a half months, two months, but like we need a little bit more of a layoff before we go right to grass. I think there needs to be like a, a week transition period and then give us like three weeks of, of warm-up events and then give us the Wimbledon on, on the, give us Wimbledon on that last fourth week as we head into like the, the next month. But I, yeah, I think we talked about this before. You and I think it's, it's slightly rushed. And I think another point you brought up that was I, I've begun to watch more grass tennis the last week or so. The grass court tennis, like, it's not as clean as, as we're accustomed to seeing on the hard court tennis. But good grass court tennis is so fun to watch. And I know you and I were locked into Kyrgios today. Like, watching him just maneuver his way through a match and just the variety, like, it's just a different, it's a different sport. Just like clay court's different. And I do appreciate the grass court tennis and what guys can do to use to their strengths. I, I'm a fan, and I think it's just um, it's it's a it's a fun it's a fun pace, and it just looks aesthetically pleasing on the screen. I mean, especially on the first few days of the grass court event when there's no brown spots. I'm I'm a fan of it. I feel twofold. A, I agree with you. Aesthetically, it is beautiful. And while I'm very much anti-all-white clothing at any event because it's 2022 and it's like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you want me to – there's a dress code? Like, I'm sorry, what year is this? Um, that said, whenever there's royalty in attendance, the idea of the players bowing towards the royal box, I know I just ranted against the all-white uh, clothing. I kind of love that. Like, that little nuanced step right there to me is always entertaining. But it's definitely a bit 
repetitive, right? Uh, in terms of the strike, you know, the first strike tennis is the name of the game, and there's no hiding on a grass court. You either have the weapons or you don't. If you don't have exactly. the ability to end points on your terms, you're probably not going to have success on this surface. That said, to go from the physicality of the clay courts to watch, you know, I mean, pick a clay court player out of a hat, a guy who's just going to extend rallies, make it a nightmare physically, and then watch those players or just watch all players make the transition to the grass courts. You know, Djokovic is the exception. Djokovic brings physicality onto a grass court. Medvedev brings physicality onto a grass court. I think a player like a Coco Goff, I think the physicality she brings to a grass court, again, compared to the field, I put her in top five, men, men's or women's player, just in terms of the physical brand of tennis they're able to play on grass. But I am a man who enjoys a good extended rally. Like as much yeah. as I like the creativity, the drop shots, it's it's while it while grass court tennis may sometimes be the cleanest tennis, it also can be the ugliest tennis be because funky. of the yeah, the chunky's a great word, Nate, to to describe it because it's just chopped up. It it just can get a little choppy. The one what what comes to mind with, with what you're saying is the one point I saw with Hercotch and Med, and uh, Medvedev where like Hercotch gave him two backhand slices and then a backhand slice approach shot and then a drop shot volley. Like it was everything under the ball for four straight shots and it ended with a winner. You just don't see that on any other surface. I mean, it doesn't matter. And Hercotch has tremendous hands, but that style, that play, that that strategy only works on grass court tennis. And I do like watching it because like Hercotch has mastered this this finesse game and his feel and his, he uses his length exceptionally well. But yeah, that's not going to fly on any other surface. But it you have to kind of appreciate it for, for what it is. And it is a lot of uh, bang, bang, um, serve plus one, um, crack to a corner, come to the net side tennis. But um, I love the fact that guys can dive and, it, and you do see athleticism in, in different ways on, on grass court. Yeah. Now, I, the diving is fun. I mean, again... The, the shot making, the ability to, the power down the line, or just the, again, the willingness to hit the approach shot, the willingness to hit the volley, the importance of the first passing shot, because you just don't have as many opportunities for two pass combinations, given the difficulties of movement. It certainly does lead to a, I almost said unique, I didn't, uh, but a different uh, style of tennis than we are accustomed to. It's like watching ping pong, man. It's like watching yeah. some good ping pong. My thing is, I actually... I think five weeks is perfect. Like, I don't need more than five weeks of grass court tennis. And obviously, I prefer when every tournament has points and every tournament is relevant. But to it see— It needs a Masters 1000. Like, at the, at, if, we're gonna extend it, if we're not going to extend it, at least give it enough credibility on the tour to give it a Masters 1000. Can I give the counter, though? is then you just need to, you need to build in another week. So you're taking a week away from something. Now, the answer is, don't we have enough hardcore events? Like, do we really need that additional, you know, if you pushed the U.S. Open back a week and made Labor Day weekend the opening weekend of the tournament, would that be acceptable for tennis fans? Obviously, the, the goal of the U.S. Open likes to have that Labor Day weekend as the middle weekend because that's just going to get the high. You know, it's third round, fourth round matches. You have high quality tennis. You have a lot of tennis and you have all those people with free time before the school year begins. Everyone goes back. Do you move back the U.S. Open to create space for it in the calendar? Do you get rid of the week of, you know, the Los Caboses and Hamburgs that come immediately after the Wimbledon? That's the question, right? 
on the calendar. And I guess my the other difficulty is can a grass court, can these different facilities handle two weeks of consecutive action? We see no, how beat yeah. up Wimbledon gets at the end of the tournament. Like feasibly, how easy is that's, it for a facility to host a 1,000-level event? Could you have the men and the women play a 1,000-level event at the same location with the wear and tear that happens to these grass courts? Again, these are logistical questions I don't know the answer to, but I imagine that's part of the reason they don't. Yeah, technology has advanced in every facet of tennis besides its ability to grow grass faster than what they're, they're doing right now. So until they figure out that issue, I mean, we see how beat up Wimbledon is in week two. That's, that is the one counter, I think, to why you probably can't do a Masters 1000 is because you just have guys who are going to be breaking their ankles on the yeah, baseball. Exactly. So, but with, well, with that in mind, let's talk about players who have broken ankles throughout the course of this grass court season. We're going to start on the men's side here today because listeners will know, or maybe they won't know, but you and I tend to text from time to time outside of these podcasts and a constant theme. And we must talk about this every other pod, every third podcast at least, because if you're buying, you know, in terms of major stockholders in all things Nick Kyrgios, you know, Goldman Sachs put down the initial $35 million Series A investment. And then I like to think we came in in that Series A initial wave as well, whether you want to go all the way back to him beating Nadal. What was that, 2014, 2015 Wimbledon? You want to say you bought equity in him as he was a top junior, winning a junior Australian Open title and, you know, ascending towards the top of the ranking so quickly in his career. I like to think you and I have been on the bandwagon since the beginning. But with all of that said, you look for Nick Kyrgios, who is, of course, competing in Mallorca this week. Kyrgios, probably the match of the day thus far. 5-7-7-6-7-6 victory over Laszlo Jur. And look, Laszlo, not exactly a grass court specialist, a guy who makes his bones during the clay court season. That's a match you would expect Kyrgios to win. Obviously, he does so. But, I mean, we've had this conversation before. I'm going to have this conversation on our Wimbledon preview podcast just to quickly go through this now for Nick Kyrgios. He's currently 16 and 6 now. 16 and 6 here in 2022. He is holding serve 93.6% of the time. That is the top number of all top 50 players on the ATP Tour, according to the Tennis Abstract uh, Stats leaderboard. Of course, you look for Kyrgios here during this grass court season. Semifinals, Stuttgart knocked out by Andy Murray. Semifinals, Halla isn't broken on serve, but knocked out 7-6 in the third by Hoopy Hercots. Now, again, you look for Kyrgios uh, broken just once against Laszlo, but a 5-7-7-6-7-6 victory, able to keep pace with his serve. You look for him now in terms of grass court success. He's played nine total matches here in the grass court season. He's been broken four total times, Nate. Four times in nine matches on grass courts. You look at the draw this week, and again, he's competing at what is, I believe, an ATP 250 event. Yes, happening in Mallorca. Kyrgios is unseated. And in this draw, you do see top seed Daniil Medvedev, who, by the way, it's fascinating to see play a third consecutive week. Of course, Medvedev won't be able to play at the 2022 Wimbledon as no Russian, Belarusian players will be allowed at the event. But Medvedev's in the field. You know, you've got an RBA in the field. You've got a Tsitsipas in the field, a Shapovalov who's still looking to find his footing. He hasn't won a match since beating Nadal back during the clay court season. Wow. I mean, Daniil Medvedev versus Kyrgios is lined up as a potential, uh, I believe, quarterfinal matchup. So that's the blockbuster one we will all be looking forward to. But, I mean, Nate, 
When you're watching Kyrgios play, and I know Amy Lundy-Dahl, we're going to have on the podcast later this week, wrote about this for Tennis Connected. I talked about it on Twitter early last week and throughout the course of last week's mini breaks. I think that Kyrgios is playing the best tennis of his career. I think something has clicked for the 27-year-old in ways it just hadn't prior. And again, when was the last time, I'll go look it up as you were giving your answer, when was the last time we saw Nick Kyrgios in the top 50 of the ATP rankings? He's number 41 again in the live rankings. You look for Kyrgios here this season, 36th in terms of points accumulated, but here's to me the one that stands out, Tennis Abstract's yearly ELO ratings. They have Nick Kyrgios based on strength of schedule, based on who he's beaten 11th overall in the ATP standings. They have him as the 11th best player this season. Now, others would argue, well, he didn't play clay court matches. If he played clay court matches, he would have gotten beaten up. My counter to that is always, well, it doesn't matter how he looks like on clay because he's not playing on clay. And so even if if he's only going to play on preferred surfaces, he's looked exceptional on those preferred surfaces this season. I think he's having a career year. And he's, yeah, I think that's, He's for sure just more locked in to what he wants to do, and he, his up and downs are less prevalent. Like, and when when he seems like his bounce, his ability to bounce back, he just believes like he's trusting his body. I think that his fitness is is where he wants it to be. He's he's comfortable playing in three sets right now, even if it's a more physical battle. He's not all um, razzle dazzle after he kind of gets beat in a set, and he goes to the changeover. He gets through his little routine and. He's ready to go again, and he looks physically fit to me. His tennis, his talent on the court has never been in question. It's usually been his mental and his and his fitness, and both of those seem to be in check. And I think that's why right now you and I were texting earlier. It's like when he's got those two things under wraps, it's must-watch TV because what he's going to do on the court with with the racket is unbelievable. I mean, he might not have the like the the shot he he hits might not be the one that you would probably draw up on if you're the coach, but when you're as talented as he is and you have the serve that he has and it's just that you're able to do what Nick does. And uh, he's got the slice. He's got the, the big heavy, heavy forehand to follow up his serve. He's, he's volleying exceptional. His pickup volleys have been incredible and he's having fun. And when Nick's doing those things, he's as dangerous as anybody on the grass courts. And I think that's why like a guy, like when he plays a guy like Medvedev, if he gets to the quarterfinal to play him, I mean, if I'm a betting man, I'm, I'm betting on curious. It's just like, he has, the stuff that's going to bother you. And I mean, you saw Laszlo had plenty of chances to get breaks, but he's just a frustrating player to play when he's never going to give you the shot that you think you're going to have. And it's, it's fun tennis. I mean, he's what, what Nick is doing is awesome. And he's must watch TV. Yeah, and the amazing thing is how he sustains his aggression in his service games. And in particular, you look for Kyrgios, who... I would say is aggressive with his second serve, right? I, I don't think it's unfair to say he's a guy who goes after that shot. You look for Kyrgios, he's third right now amongst top 50 players in terms of win per second, uh, win percentage on the second serve, winning 56.1% of the time. With that stat in mind, I think it's worth pointing out he only double faults 3.6% of the time. Now, the average for top 50 players double faulting is 3.4%. The reason I bring that up, yeah, it's 0.2% higher, but it's, you know, again, it's not as though he's being reckless. It's not as though he's going for too much with that second serve. He just is in rhythm right now on the serve, and it sets up everything he wants to do. And the underhand serve, like, it used to be like this little cheeky little slap in the face type shot, but now it's legitimately a weapon that, like, yeah. 
it's you're, it's going to mess with guys and it's going to mess with top players. I mean, guys that are comfortable with their habits of getting back into their spot after they towel off, camping out three or four meters behind the baseline, and that's where they set up. And then they, if they want a little bit, I mean, like you have to be on your toes at all times because Nick doesn't care about your feelings, and he and he's going to hit that shot if he sees you sitting back there looking comfortable chewing on grass five meters behind the baseline. So the fact that he has that and he can follow it up with 149 hour serve if you do decide to take up more space and uh, give, like, give to the baseline. I mean, that, that's a lethal combination. I think he's starting to understand that this is a shot that is going to pay off. I mean, it might save him a break point at, at Wimbledon in, in the third round match. I mean, I'm not going to be surprised that he pulls this out down 1530 or 3040 when he sees a guy leaning back. And so, I mean, all the things he has going for him. And I, I don't know, I, I hope for, for tennis's sake and for our sake as fans that he just stays dialed in because, He's, he's so good for tennis when, when we get this side of him. Uh, I know fans, he's controversial with kind of how he treats umpires and ball kids, and he's blamed people for different things. And that's all part of his kind of his show. But what, what the actual tennis that he's putting on right now is, has been, uh, for me, one, one of the highlights of 2022. Yeah, and we'll talk about him more, I'm sure, when we do our top five men's contenders or our dark horses entering the event. I need to find a different terminology to use this, but there's some closet grinder to Nick Kyrgios as well. Like, he's kind of comfortable grinding on that backhand wing, and he's just rock solid on that wing. And you look at the break percentage for Kyrgios this season, twenty, uh, excuse me, 18.5%, which is third lowest amongst top 50 players. You know, he's 48th, but it's also... 2.3% above his career average. And again, he's only broken once out of every, you know, he's broken once out of every 10 service games. He breaks serve about one in five. That's a pretty successful rate. That's going to get the job done. And so obviously for Nick Kyrgios, again, the short angles he's able to find, how fluid he is on that forehand. Yeah, the forehand backswing can be big and yet Again, he just looks comfortable right now. Uh, Obviously, fantastic volley. Australian Open doubles champion speaks to that fact. Comfortable serving and volleying, comfortable playing the drop shots, hit a ridiculous backhand half volley, a little scoop uh, today. Yeah, it's just silly. And again, three-set winner for him. He's now uh, going to take on, I believe, Roberto Bautista Goot. That's a very fun uh, round of 16 matchup. As you look through the rest of this uh, ATP event in Mallorca. And it's crazy that we're in Mallorca and yet we don't have any Rafael Nadal action here. Let's just go through this quickly. Daniil Medvedev, since winning the U.S. Open, 0-5 in ATP Tour Finals here this season. He actually doesn't have a title yet this year. Again, you know, losses in the Australian Open final, loses in the Netherlands to Timmy Van Rijthoven a couple weeks ago, loses last week in the final to Huba Hercots in Halle. Now, I still think he's playing outstanding grass court tennis, and you look for Daniil Medvedev coming into the week, uh, coming into the grass court season, excuse me, he was one of, I believe, 10 ATP players to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. Just two weeks later, Daniil Medvedev now one of just three players to rank top 10 in both hold and break percentage. So it just took him a little bit of time to find his rhythm, but he has found that rhythm. And look, Hubi blitzed him. In the final, no doubt about that. Timmy Van Rijthoven blitzed him in the final. I mean, he's won 10 total games in four sets in his past two finals. And yet I'm feeling much better about Daniil Medvedev coming into this grass court season. And he's dealt with different nagging injuries. And certainly, you know, we only saw him for two tournaments during the clay court season. But just physically, he seems fit. 
Once again, he seems to be finding his rhythm as a server. Once again, as well, all the bag of tricks that he likes to get into, that's working. And then, you know, from a mental perspective, a couple of guys who had owned him over the years, you know, a bunch of freshmen, uh, Frenchmen, Jill Simone, Adrian Manorino, of course, a guy like Roberto Bautista Agut as well, those Low, flat hitters who are perfectly fine being patient and playing at Medvedev's pace. Medvedev beats all three of them over the course of the past two weeks. Now, again, has he been bad in finals? Yes. But I think as we look towards this week, which, of course, he is going to play as he's not going to be able to play Wimbledon. And as we look towards the summer hard court stretch, which is, of course, a critical stretch of time for him to solidify his spot as world number one. I'm a stock up with Neil Medvedev. Where are you? I'm stock up as well. I mean, the, a, a matchup against Herkoc on grass is just a nightmare matchup for, yeah. for Medvedev. That's just not the, the guy. Yeah, with Herkoc, this is his surface. Like, this is where he plays best. And he he can counterpunch everything Medvedev wants to do. But Medvedev is so much more comfortable the last few weeks coming forward, using the front court, and then placing balls inside the service line to bring guys forward. I think guys got used to him just routinely maneuvering the ball back to the baseline, and we're kind of just – comfortable banging balls back and forth with him. Now they have to be worried about his change of pace ball and drop shot and his pickup volleys. And he's just using his hands and he's much more confident breaking down at the service box and catching those balls on the short hop or even volleying and putting the balls away. I mean, I know he had a couple of tricky points against Hercotch where Hercotch can make almost anybody kind of look silly up there. But in general, I think Medvedev's ability to move forward and stick volleys and uh, finish points on his terms, he's looked much cleaner doing so, and his confidence, I think, doing it has is, is, is kind of shown that. But, um, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a bummer that his, the year he plays the best tennis on a grass court, we won't be able to see him compete in the biggest tournament. But um, I guess that's a conversation for a different day. Uh, I think Medvedev's working on, like, the off-pace stuff, which is going to take his hardcore game to another level, though. I think that's where he gets stuck in these extended rallies all the time against guys like Nadal or Djokovic. And those guys just have a little bit more variety. They have, they, they have a little bit more, they're, they're, they have plan A, plan B, plan C. And for a while it felt like Medi had, he was either all defense or kind of that just playing balls to the middle of the, of the court. And I, I think now he's able to play on his front court and, and really attack guys that are going to sit back behind the baseline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, it's, you know, again, it's the patience. It's just, again, the totality of weapons. He's able to show the physical profile, the length on this surface. He's able to play physical tennis on grass courts, Nate. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's not fair. And, you know, again, as you look at this Mallorca draw, things that will be relevant moving forward. I think some of the dangerous guys, certainly you look at a Talon Greek sport. He just can do a lot of different things and so well-rounded, a guy who moves well. And I just think it's a really short list of guys who move well on this surface. The upset alert I have is Ilya Vashka versus Stefano Tsitsipas. And I know Tsitsipas 2-0 in his career against Ivashka. Both of those, you know, both of those wins coming this season, one of them of a three-set nature on the clay in Barcelona. But Look, Tsitsipas has struggled 
on grass courts throughout the course of his career. Now, you look for him here. I think his losses this season to Murray, to Kyrgios, those aren't bad losses in a vacuum, particularly on a grass court surface. But Ivashka's just the sort of player that, you know, again, physically, is going to be able to absorb some of that first blow from Stefano Tsitsipas, able to extend rallies and not allow him to just easily dictate with the plus one forehand. Now, again, from a physical profile perspective, the aggression of Tsitsipas, the serve, the plus one forehand, his willingness to move forward, snap off the volley. Again, in theory, you'd think, okay, he should be fine on a grass court. And yet... You know, again, you look for Stefano Tsitsipas throughout the course of his career, and we'll focus on ATP-level grass court matches in particular. A, he's only played 20 matches in his career on grass courts. B, he's 10-10 and 10 overall. So again, Nate Dogg, when you look at a guy like him, maybe a Denis Shapovalov, the number three seed here this week, who again has not won a match since beating Nadal, and according to Tennis Abstracts, uh, singles forecast for the tournament is a is an underdog tomorrow against Benjamin Bonzi. You know, those two guys, what are you expecting from them uh, at, at Wimbledon? What do you want to see from them this week? I think both seem to have a similar issue. I think a lot of it comes, maybe not. Sissy Poss, it seems like a timing issue. Shepovalov, it seems like he's a one-trick pony a lot of times. I mean, he goes out there, he's going to swing big, try to hit spots and play front foot tennis. And if that fails, he doesn't really know where, where, where to kind of lean, lean on plan B. Um, with Sissipas, he's just a big swinger that has big strokes. He's got great spacing on a hard court and clay court. That spacing and uh, preparation uh, works wonders for him. On a grass court, when you're playing bang-bang tennis and you're trying to be stubborn on the baseline, it seems that he gets caught late. He shanks more balls on, this, on the surface. He seems to kind of be behind the eight ball a little bit more than, uh, than normal. And he doesn't seem to be able to kind of get the footwork down like he like he's able to on a on a hard court or, or a clay court. Um, I mean, I don't think he he looks terrible on a grass court, but guys can pick up pick apart the backhand a little bit more. The forehand can get a little chunky, and if he's not serving lights out, I think it could be difficult. And Vashka looked really good against Rusevori. I was surprised by how well he moved and um, picked up shots on defense and transitioned to offense. So he's gonna have to play very clean tennis to beat. Uh, so I think that's a good call on the upset alert. Uh, with Shepovalov, I just feel like he, the margin of error in his game is, is not is not where other guys that you see in the top 15, 20. He seems that like if he's on his best day, yeah, he can be dangerous. But too, too often we see him play matches like he did against Tommy Paul last week where it's one really good set of, of good tennis. And then after that, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a wavy ride. And on a grass court where momentum changes seem to happen more frequently, Guys get confidence quickly and kind of find what they want to do to, to guys. And if, you, if your confidence slips or anything, I mean, it just seems like a grass court can expose you very quickly. And I think Shapovalov, I'm curious, what is his career record on a grass court? Uh, I, I was interested. You said Sissipas was 10-10, 50%. Well, of course, Shapovalov made that third round at uh, third round, excuse me, semifinal run oh, at Wimbledon yeah. last season. Now, again, he's lost five consecutive matches since beating Nadal in Rome. You look for Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, excuse me, for Denis Shapovalov in his career ATP level grass court matches, eleven and fourteen. Now he wow. earned seven victories on a grass court last season. So outside of last year, where he was, uh, excuse me, eight victories on the grass courts last season. So ex- no, nine victories, nine of his eleven grass court victories 
series came last season outside of that year. Again, he's two uh, and what, 12 overall wow. on the grass courts. Now, again, it's always fun to remember Dennis Shapovalov doesn't t- or just turned 23 this season. Like he's still extraordinarily young, but he that- cut his hair and, and, he, and he lost <laughs> and he lost a little bit of that, of that pop. I hope it's the same doesn't go for you, Bruskin. I know you got that new do rocking over there. Well, look, I, I have never had the pop. So the do is it was never, uh, you know, there was no correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation. If anything, I'm just far more aerodynamic on the court. I don't have those wings slowing me down. Um, yeah, I spread my wings and I learned how to fly, as you know. Should we do it? I spread my wings and I learned. No, we'll, we'll leave that there. Um, again, when I look at this tournament, fascinating. By the way, round one for Daniel Medvedev, he's going to take on a guy he's never beaten in a professional match in yeah, Aslan Karatsev. Karatsev 2-0 and there. So fun matchups across the board here in the round of 16. Again, shout out to Sebastian Baez. Good grass court victory for the young Argentinian Baez right now all the way up to number 35 in the ATP live rankings is the 35-year-old. By the way, Mackie McDonald, again, going to take on former teammate Marcos Giron. Battle of two former UCLA NCAA singles champions. Mackie Hovering right next to his career high, a win today, or a win, excuse me, over Giron. He'll be back up to number 50, his career high, number 49. Right now, three UCLA Bruins in the top 70. Mackie McDonald, number 52. Marcos Giron, number 66. Do you know who the third is? We're just playing trivia here today. Um, you do. Nakashima? No, think Oscar Ota, but American. Think Oscar Ota, but American. It's got to be best player in the month of January on the ATP tour. Not named Rafael Nadal. Oh, it's uh, I know who this guy. His name is Maxine Cressy. That's it. There it is. I, no uh, hints. You all heard it live, folks. Maxine wow. Cressy. Three Bruins I, in the top seventy-five. That's heard, ridiculous. Oh, you said Bruins. Oh yeah, I wouldn't have said yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I missed that. I was uh, I was looking at the, the draw. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cressy's a dog, and I, I, people quickly forget how good that January he had was. This is where I get to remind everyone that on the 2024, uh, 2014, excuse me, 2014 UCLA men's tennis team, Marcos Giron, who won the NCAA singles championship that season, played two singles. Freshman Mackie McDonald, who beat Stevie Johnson in Cincinnati qualifying going into that college season, played three singles. Gage Brimer, Easter Bowl champion, hadn't torn his ACL, top 600 in the world, whatever, played four singles. Number one singles player was the number one player in the country in Clay Thompson, not that Clay Thompson, the other Clay Thompson. And that team lost in the semifinals. Like, one bad day against Oklahoma. Otherwise, like, how Caruso played six on that team. He was top 400 in the world or played five. Like, he played five. He'll get mad at me if I don't say he played five. Like, how that team didn't win an NCAA championship. That's why I bring it up about every two months here on this show because that is like one of those things that will stick with me forever the same way how the Alexa Graham, Sarah Davatilla, McKenna Jones at North Carolina women's duo didn't win a t- an NCAA title. Whatever. We'll save that for a different time. Give me a pick. Who's winning Mallorca? Kings. Yeah? You're, you're, Kings. He's going to beat Medvedev? I I don't feel good enough with anybody else in that draw where I'm just going to stamp them and I... I just feel like Keyes is going to ride this wave of momentum where he feels like the spotlight of the tour is on him. The big three is kind of laying low right now. And he's like, why not? I'll just embrace this. I'll, 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 I'll take, I'll take everybody's eyes right now. And it, you know, it's all eyes on him right now. It's like, and it, you can just kind of, yeah, you kind of feel the mojo a little bit. I think Keyes feels it. He's 27 years old. He's, he's in the prime of his career. 
there's no better moment for him to kind of be a contender and kind of soak it all in on his favorite surface. Uh, yeah, I like Keegs. Yeah, I mean, again, I think they're all interesting. Uh, I, it's curious because curious, and you know, some people always ask, well, how fit is he? Like, it doesn't matter how well he's playing if he's not fit going into these Grand Slams. Three weeks of consecutive action heading into Wimbledon. What more can he do to prove to everyone that he is fit now? One could ask, would a loss to Medvedev actually be good for Kyrgios to get four or five days off before the start of Wimbledon? I actually think there's an argument to be made that the answer to that question is yes, and that Kyrgios winning this week, while would be the best thing for his ranking, might be the worst thing for his chances at Wimbledon. But no, it's a fascinating draw, obviously, and one we will continue to monitor all week long here on our mini break podcast feed. All right, we're going to go through the rest of these events on the quick on a quicker note. Let's start with the WTA event now happening in Eastbourne, because this probably is the WTA event with the ATP Mallorca equivalent draw available to us this week on the board. Simply put, we've got a plethora of players either kicking off their grass court season or players who you would put on your short list of contenders to capture the 2022 Wimbledon title. Now, one of those players last year's finalist, Karolina Pliskova, knocked out first round. Three-set victory. She falls in an upset to wildcard Katie Bolter, of course. Heck of a victory for Bolter, who has been ranked as high as number 82 in the world. Still just, you know, turning 26 at the start of August does Bolter. Uh, obviously, when she's been good, she's been very good. She has dealt with so many different injuries throughout the course of her career. You know, that said, some of the other players knocked out early. You saw uh, number 13 seed Elisa Mertens knocked out in three sets by Kirsten Flipkins. Now, uh, certainly as we're talking and as these, you know, matches still underway, right now, Angelina Kalanino, the rising young Ukrainian, she's got double match point on number three seed Maria Sakari. We see uh, Paula Bedosa down 6-4-4 love right now uh, to uh, Jody Burridge uh, from the UK as well. Look, I mean, Bedosa in her career, this is, I believe, her 21st career match on grass courts. You look for her overall again. Uh, in that career, 11 and 9, she is on grass courts. Made the round of 16 last year, was so fit, and you know another one of those players who can play physical tennis on this surface. But of course, you look for Paula Bedosa, who's been incredibly banged up here uh, over these past couple of months in 2022. You know, hasn't played since Roland Garros, and you know really wasn't able to play. Uh, yeah, she played Stuttgart, Madrid, Rome, and Roland Garros, but it just felt like she wasn't her healthiest throughout the course of the 2022 uh, clay court season. I mean, again, Sakari, this is her third consecutive tournament in a row, so I'm kind of writing this one. Yeah, she got knocked out officially, Kalanina. Yeah, look, Angelina Kalanina is just dangerous. She has been one of the rising stars. She's she's 0.9% of Beatrice Haddad Maya. Like, Haddad Maya has taken things to the next level, but Kalanina's done the JV version of that. Here's my question to you. You look at this draw. Again, Bedosa already out. Rabakina upset early as well by Serenko. Ali Risk, someone you always circle come the grass court season. She was knocked out early by Magda Lynette. You now see Maria Sakari knocked out. Again, Bedosa's on upset alert. Is this just foreshadowing what we're going to see at Wimbledon over the next few weeks, which is just chaos? Yeah, that, that's what the grass court season is, is chaos. <laughs> yeah, and sure. I, and that's, we're, we're seeing chaos on the doubles courts as well with Jabir and Serena Williams and the, and the third set super tiebreaker. Um, great to see Serena back on the court. Uh, especially love when they love, love when the when the stars play some dubs, but yeah, I mean, like you said, Pliskova gone, Pedosa's on the brink of being gone. It just one one girl that I've always underestimated is that Camelia Georgie seems to just be solid. 
she's like both Van Essential. Like, doesn't probably ever get the credit that he and she deserve. Oh. But just across plat, like across all services, those those two are just like, I, I don't know. To me, they just bring the goods. Hard clay, grass. They're just not someone you want to see on your side of the draw. See you now, yeah. Now you have me thinking. Who's a better comparison for her? Because it's just more power centric. She's a little bit more. See, I think, and I'm talking purely on court, not off court. Purely on court product. Um, yeah. I think her comp is Nicholas Basilashvili. I like think two players who like with the power tennis they can play on the right day. You're just f-ed. like because they're yeah. just going to play on their terms. They're going to bash the ball by you. And yeah, they're both. Both are pretty big. Both are Does he? Does he? I mean, he, he's, he, he's not Bassett really. He's got more variety than that. That's what I'm saying. When I think Bassett, oh, Botic, I think variety. I think yeah. just the plethora yeah. of things. When I think yeah. Georgie, I just think power, power, power. Like she swings at you yeah. full speed. True, true. But but I get what you're saying in terms of just like the lingering. Like, um, yeah, just like they're just always going to be in the second and third rounds of these events. And they play, it seems like, as, much ter- as many tournaments as anybody. Um, Maybe the comparison for Georgie is actually Karen Hatchinoff. I like, like that one. Be- I like that one better. I like yeah. that one better. All right. No, I, I like it. Um, uh, but this event is, is yeah, Rabakina already out again. Uh, it seems like she's been struggling a little bit. Terrence Seiko is, that's another tough customer. Um, Shelby Rogers is out now. I think grass court tennis is, like you said, it's like, it's less predictable because it's more predictable tennis. It's like, who can who's going to be hitting their spots with the serve, and who can play on their front foot, be stubborn on the baseline, and put the pressure on on, on people to, to hit tough passing shots and to uh, yeah to, to pick up defensive balls from the baseline. And I think it's it's a uh, different style of tennis, and I think that's it's such a short sprint that you're going to get these upsets. I guess Adad May is just she's not going to be a part of that. She's just going to be solid across this month span of tennis and. I know we were on this last week. We talked about her being someone that's kind of on the rise, and you, you, I know you, you gave her a, a fair bit of hype, and she is, uh, that train has not slowed down at all. Yeah. All right. All right. Yesterday on our top five uh, Wimbledon women's singles preview, cont- uh, contenders preview, which you can all find on the Great Shot podcast feed, lead that mumbling in, super producer Daniel Westoff, David Gertler and I coined something we called the- up club, which is just on the right day, on the right week, if these sorts of players are clicking, they're going to f*** it up. And I think some of the players who fall into that category who are competing this week and you keep an eye on uh, at this event in Eastbourne, which by the way, to throw a WTA 500 the week, the week before a Grand Slam, just mwah, you absolutely <laughs> love to see that. Um, but the, F, the FS Up crew, tell me if you think they belong or not. Petra Kvitova, who earned a 6-1-7-6 victory over Donna Vekic. Now, I'm not ready to have the write-off Petra Kvitova debate yet, but I'm almost there. That said, the lefty, the power tennis, obviously her pedigree on grass courts. Is she still in the FS Up crew? Well, let me look. How old is she now? She's 31. 32, I believe. 31 or 32, 31, something like yeah. that. Okay. She's, if, on the tennis one-up, she is 5'12", if you were wondering. <laughs> so she's, she's, almost, she's pushing six feet tall, so... That length that she has in her game at 31 years old, she'll be able to age pretty fine, I think. And yeah, she's still 
she's still in the conversation for sure. I like it. She's 12th right now, according to Tennis Abstract, and grass court-specific ELO rating. Ostapenko, who, of course, won a title on the grass courts last season and got her mojo going. Now, she has been particularly cold since her run in the Middle East back in February, but she's a f- she might be the poster child of the SSO- FS Up crew. Who did you just say? I missed it. Ostapenko? Ostapenko? Ostapenko, yes, for sure. She's, yeah. I mean, what she can do when she's striking the ball well is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, just again, absolute stud. Give me, um, give me another one. 4-4 like win over Tom Janovich, by the way, impressive. Madison Keys, 4-3. and three. Uh, Like, uh, Madison Keys, uh, you feel like she's either losing second round or making the semis. Exactly. I, yeah. I, I'm on the Keys wagon. I, I would love to see her be a... Be a second week presence at Wimbledon. Yeah. All right, where are you with Haddad Maya? I know we talked about her last week. Did, did you get the chance to watch the lefty more frequently? What do you think I about did. the game? I did. I went to. I went and did a little more homework on her. Yeah, I, I like it. That's a. Uh, and, I, and I've seen her name, and I watched some highlights here and there. But now I, I kind of get what, why she's winning emphatically, kind of on the grass courts, and she's she she just believes in her stuff, and she's just going to keep coming, and that's. I don't know. I, I can. I, I'm a fan of her already, and I know you were you were saying that she's got the weapons and stuff, but she she's got the power, but she also has hands. Like she's she's a she's a, a very good athlete. Um, I, I she'll be what seated top top fifteen. I'm guessing at Wimbledon. Uh, I don't. Like I think 20? she's she will be seated, which is the crazy thing. And again, 20? she's now one yeah. eleven match. Is What's she that? the most famous? No, she be tr- she's still out. Is she the the most famous Beatriz in the world? Like, I'm trying to think. Because Beatriz feels like a big 19, like, 10s name. And I'm just not (laughs) sure. Like, you know, you look at the Beatriz we have left. uh, You know, the first female prime minister of Peru was a Martha Beatriz Marino. And I think she went by Beatriz. You know, I'm I'm just trying to, like, I think she's a top five Beatriz. I'll have to do my homework on that. But I'm going to throw her top five Beatriz in the world. That's one of those names you hear that you're just like, yeah, that, that person was named by their grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I, I had a grandfather. Norma. It's like, how, many, how many Normas do you know? I met a Norma the other day. I'm like, I, I, I had a grandfather, may he rest in peace, whose name was Myron. Like, Myron is dead. There, Myron. I mean, then that's not a joke. I obviously love you, Grandpa. Rest in peace. But, like, there are no more Myrons in the world. That's just not happening anymore, right? Or, like, I have a buddy named John Calloway Kaufman as well. Like, that's just, well, A, out of a country club. But it's like, okay, that's, like, did that name come from 1916? It's like Eleanor. Yeah. Eleanor's, <laughs> Eleanor's got to be top five on that list. Yeah, or, like, <laughs> when was the last time you met a Theodore? Like a Theodore who who goes by Teddy. Like, no, I, I can't tell you the last Theodore. I have him, but I would love to meet one because I think Teddy's a cool name. Yeah, I agree. Great nickname. Shout out Ted- to Serena Williams and Anja Burr taking it 14-12 in the a, in a third set breaker. They ultimately win? Yeah, that, yes. So that was the last thing. Obviously, that's the big note you look for here in uh, terms of the action happening on the WTA Tour this week. Now, it's not happening in the singles, certainly, but you look in the doubles. We do have some Serena own Jabour action. Jabour pulling out of the singles of this event in Eastbourne. But, yeah, her and Serena get into play, and, you know, I had it on in the background as we're recording here. I'll tell you this. When her feet are set, she still looks like Serena freaking Williams. Like, again, her ability to hit the first serve, the power tennis she can play— but double certainly hides your movement. And that, to me, continues to be the biggest question for her and a question we will only see answered once the singles competition begins. With that in mind, again, all of these upsets already. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 13-11. And I think Serena is rock, rocking some eye black. 
which yeah. is uh, highly fashionable. She looks like Marshawn Lynch out here. Yeah, Serena, Serena's a killer. She always has been, always will be. And again, that's when you uh, the easiest answer to who's the greatest of all time is just Serena. And then like it's a little bit of a cop out, but it's just the easiest answer to offer. With that said, who's winning in Birmingham? Give me your pick. I'm not picking against Haddad May until I see. Oh, you know what? See, yeah, I'm not. That's, that's not a bad pick. I don't hate it. Uh, I want one of the FS Up crew to win it. You know what? Should I go with Muguruza, who earned her first win in maybe forever? Uh, maybe of the season, anecdotally, but her first victory since, what, Rabat back in May? And, yeah, she just you look for Muguruza here this season after, arguably, again, I thought she was at times the best player in the world in 2021. This season, she's 8-10. 8-10, that's not great. Uh, but, but she has but she's, with the keys. Yeah, like, but in a different way, right? Yeah. And yeah. it, but it's either she's, she's first or second round exit or coming to the semifinals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Hadad May just, that's not her, her keys. I hope her keys pulls this title up. Yeah, no, I, I like that. I, I'm all in favor. And so, again, shout out to Garbin, who October 8th, OVO crew, uh, we rock together. Um, all right, with that in mind, two other events to go here this week on the ATP and WTA Tour. Let's stick with the women's side. We'll go over to Bad Hamburg in Germany. Now, certainly, again, plethora of players who I think could play factors. And if you're looking for how high these players can go in the in during the 2022 Wimbledon, go check out our preview content over on the Great Shot podcast feed. Look, we're not going to see top seed Daria Kasatkina. The French Open semifinalist has been one of the breakthrough players of the 2022 season. She's last year's Conteve, last year's Sakari Kasatkina, currently sixth in the WTA points race this season. She's also currently sitting at 13th in the live ranking. She right now has match points over Niemeyer to survive with a three-set victory, but a bunch of players I think are fascinating in this draw, and David Gertler and I had this discussion yesterday. You know who else belongs in the FS Up crew? Bianca Andreescu, who like just on on the right 15 minutes, she the, like on the right 15 minutes, she looks like the best player in the world. Maybe one of the best female players like you will ever see and obviously a Grand Slam champion. We're all well aware of her talent. Simona's rock solid and let's be clear, the last time we saw her at Wimbledon, she won Wimbledon back in 2019. I just I'll take the weapons of Anisimova every day of the week. Angelique Kerber, semifinalist at Wimbledon last season. I think it's critical for her to get some victory, some rhythm, some calluses under her belt this week in that bottom half of the draw. You know, again, no, she's the highest seeded player you already had. You know, the number two seed pull out of the event. You had Samsonova knocked off in three sets. That bottom half of the draw wide open for Angelique Kerber to thrive. Uh, with that said, Halep Andreescu, who goes further? Uh, Halep Andreescu Anisimova, who goes furthest at the 2022 Wimbledon? Oh, that's tough. Um, I'll say Anisimova. Yeah. I'll say, uh, uh, I don't trust her movement that much, though. Um, give me I – w- I would like to see Andreescu get her footing back because I really think she can be I, – I, yeah, give me Andreescu, actually. I don't trust the Anisimova movement on grass. I know she can hit the ball big, but she's got to set her feet, and that's 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 the issue. Yeah. No, I mean, I I, I like it, and so you know, again, um, I do 
very much look forward to this week. I do think Andrescu, boy, an Andrescu Kasatkina quarterfinal matchup. That's exactly what the doctor ordered for Andrescu. And I'm always still just fascinated for all of these players. Again, you're playing the week before the slam. All of them still clearly valuing those points, clearly still trying to get repetitions under their belt. I will be fascinated to see for Amanda Nisimova, who right now uh, currently inside, uh, you know, one of the 11 players on the WTA Tour to rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage. She's actually just one of the seven players who are top 20 in both hold and break percentage. I'm curious how that forehand will translate to this surface. And you look for Anisimova throughout the course of her career. I mean, obviously for Anisimova only, you know, turns 21 years old at the end of August in terms of overall grass court matches under her belt. She's played 11. She's six and five in total. Has never made it past the second round of Wimbledon. She's lost twice to the same player at Wimbledon. Both times it was Magda Lynette, funny enough. Wow. Um, obviously, oh, maybe another one of those floaters. Yeah, you, you throw it out there. But, I mean, again, I really like the power tennis Anisimova is able to play, and she clearly has, you know, she's back on track now this season. I, she just seems more, I mean, I know she had a, mm-hmm. the tragic death of her father, which I think had a, a big impact of her last year or so, maybe more. I mean, we all know how hard that is, but she seems to be back in a, a good headspace where she's enjoying her tennis and she's been able to kind of uh, get back on track with where she's kind of been projected to go with her talent. And I think that's awesome because it's uh, we, for a second there, it was, it looked like it was going to be a tough place to be. And now she's back smiling and I think she's awesome for tennis. So uh, happy for Amanda Asimova. 100% agree with you. With that said, who's taking this title at Ben Hamburg? Um, Give me, give me a, uh, give me Andrescu. I, I, I want to I see Andrescu get, catch, catch heat before she heads to Wimbledon. I might say Kasakina just because it matters that much more to her given she can't play at the 2022 Wimbledon. Good call. But Andrescu's a great pick. Um, man, I would love to see some Kerber magic. I'm going to go Kasakina. Kerber, does Kerber have, like, everybody's a fan of Angelique Kerber. There's no way anyone dislikes Angelique Kerber. I feel like she's got to be like the most well-liked, most approved uh, Universal, it, ni- over 90% approval rating. Like, yeah. what's the case against her? You're like, yeah, ah, you know- I don't like lefties. Like, exactly. that's stupid. Or, yeah, yeah like, it, no, that's dumb. And by the way, Angelique Kerber, quietly 34 years old. Like, talk about the youngest 34-year-old. I, I, she doesn't feel 34, um, but, but, yeah. Big fan. No, big fan as well. And again, obviously the track record on the grass court speak for themselves. This is her first grass court tournament of the season. So hopefully, again, getting those legs under her, getting those calluses as we head towards the year's third Grand Slam with that in mind. Final event happening on the men's side over in Eastbourne. How concerned are you about the Jensen Brooksby struggles, we'll say, here this season? Brooksby, two and two loss to the wild card. 20-year-old lefty Jack Draper, and Draper's Draper going to come. I mean, he's he's going to be a dark horse. Like, yeah, guys but just— Draper drilled Brooksby. I mean, that was like— Yeah. That was a dissection. I mean, I even in rallies where I thought, like, all right, Brooksby's okay here. No. He was just working Brooksby side to side, making him so super uncomfortable, hitting, making him come forward, pinning him to the baseline— Brooksby had no weapons to hurt Draper. That that was a that was concerning, and I and I think it, with his inability to to be a factor on the clay courts, it doesn't look great on grass so far. A lot of his points are going to be coming on the hard court swing. That's just a lot of pressure to put on yourself to in that in that uh, hard court swing with Australian. 
to your point, sorry to cut you off, the free ride is over for Jensen Brooksby. It's just over now. Now he's playing defense the rest of the season. And yeah, that's tough to see. Obviously, it was tough to see Sebastian Corda forced to withdraw with injury as well. Look, I'm excited to see the Sin Man back on court. Yannick Sinner hopefully going to be healthy heading into Wimbledon. Another guy fewer than 20 grass court matches in his career. And he's going to take on a guy in Tommy Paul who's just got the athleticism, the shot making, and the looks. Talk about a guy who you feel like he looks like a Wimbledon champion superficially. Now, again, can he put those results together? Happy to see Taylor Fritz continuing to play as he looks to find his footing under him. Are you in on the man? Ryan Penniston obviously continues to have success. And I mean, like today, three set victory, I believe, for him over uh, Hogaruna, where I think he was even down a set and a break in that match. Like, again, the lefties just got it on this surface. And he'll be a favorite. Like, he should beat Pedro Martinez tomorrow. Martinez doesn't have the weapons to hurt him with. And you look for Penniston now, the former University of Memphis standout, all the way up to number 103. In the li- in the ATP race, you look for him in the rankings right now. Penniston uh, currently at a new career high live ranking number 142. Another victory he gets into the top 135. I mean, it's been a life-changing grass court season for Ryan Penniston, and it seems legit. Down to the Memphis Tigers. Um, yeah. No, this draw is loaded in general. I mean, I love this draw. I just all these matchups on paper are very fascinating. Penniston is. I just feel like grass court season, there's so like if you can ride your wave of momentum kind of like we've seen Kyrgios do, and you just the you either kind of have the juice on grass or you don't. It's really hard to kind of suck on that mid-match and kind of flip the flip, flip the switch. You kind of just have to ride it. And he's been like him and Draper and uh I mean you I mean there's other guys, but him and Draper and I mean Tim Van Reithoven, these guys that they, they just kind of have the juice, they're just letting it rip and when you're playing that confidently, the grass court tennis seems to reward you the most. And yeah, I'm a believer. I think Penniston has the goods to to to, cut, to get some upsets in, in Wimbledon and uh, potentially reach the round of four. Yeah, shout out by the way again. Some other names you mentioned: Jack Draper. I think he beat Schwartzman. I like. I I don't think that's a hot take by any stretch of the imagination. No, Big no. lefty against Schwartzman on this surface. I would probably favor again the lefty in Schwartzman. Brandon Nakashima has been on a quiet heater. Nakashima all the way up to a new career high live ranking number 53 right now. He's going to take on top seed Cam Nori tomorrow. That's just going to be a physical battle. Two guys who played a bunch of times in the North American hardcore. That's going three. Yeah, and I believe Nakashima, if memory serves me correct, beat uh, Nori in 2020 in Delray Beach, Nori returning that favor in Los Cabos last year in the fall. So again, two guys who knows each other uh, know each other's games a bit. I think Cressy versus Manorino is kind of, uh, excuse me, Cressy versus the winner of Manorino Evans is kind of fun. Evans, Manorino, two guys who just, how well-rounded they are. Obviously, Manorino's track record on grass court speaks for itself. I think that's a fun matchup. Cressy, you don't want to see a six foot six serve and volley or first round of Wimbledon ever. Um, with that said, again, as we wrap today's pod, who you got in Eastbourne? Give me, oh, I got to Give me Tommy Paul. Now we're talking, Nate Dog. Give give me Tommy. I really liked what I saw from Tommy last week. He had a tough matchup against Berrettini, who is probably a top five grass court player. Top, maybe that's underestimating his abilities. And he he really challenged him. He gave him a a handful. And I thought Tommy played well against Shapovalov. I think center's going to be coming in a little out of form uh, off the injury. And I think that bottom half is a favorable draw. 
He's obviously – it'll be tough if he plays against a, a Nori or a Draper maybe, but I think Tommy Paul gets his second title. I want to see Demon Hour Nori. I just want to see the physicality on full display. I need a big week from the Demon, who lost a tough three-set match last week to Davidovich Fokina, but there are just times when you watch the Demon yep. and you're just like, you should not be able to walk, move like that on a grass court. So I want to see a big run from him here. Uh, he heading, can, yeah. yeah. His, his ability to track down balls is prime Guy Monfils like. Uh, he's one of the fastest guys I've ever seen on a tennis court, for sure. Yeah, it's just a joke. It's an absolute joke. And so with all that said, those are your four ATP WTA Tour-level events this week. Again, Mallorca, Eastbourne, Bad Hamburg, of course. We will be covering all of that action here at Cracked Rackets over the course of the next few days on the Mini Break podcast feed. Of course, we'll have Wimbledon draw previews for you all as well over on our Great Shot podcast feed. All of that content available on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Shout out, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an any job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out as well to Nate and our friends at Tennis Point, Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, Nate, dog, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? No, sir. Gave it, gave it all to the people today. I love it. Well, with that said, for my fantastic co-host, Nate Walworth, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate, dog, what do we tell the people? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you as always, my friend. Yes, sir.